All right, if you uh, have your Bible, turn to Isaiah 64. Uh, Isaiah is not a book that we preach from very often, although we probably should do more. But it's about a, a prophet who was every bit as weird as we think prophets of the Old Testament are. Isaiah did some crazy stuff, but in the midst of some of that crazy stuff, he prayed some powerful prayers. And so we're talking about how do we pray? Last week we talked about Samuel and how Samuel teaches us to listen. Today, Isaiah teaches us about how to pray in a land, in a nation, in a culture that is quickly turning its back on God. I know we talk about prayer a lot. It's a a, a recurring theme of what we, we dig into in the scriptures. And as I said last week, the reason that we do this is because so often our prayer lives are so limited. You know, I used the illustration last week of, of our phones, right? I got this new phone and I probably know how to use about 2% of its capabilities. And it's the same thing with prayer. We've got this huge invitation, this huge opportunity before us, but we're just using a small percentage of it. So Isaiah 64, starting... Verse 1. Let me give you a little bit of a picture of what is happening as Isaiah prays this prayer. He's living in the middle of a nation that has rejected God. A nation that has assertively and intentionally turned its back on God's ways because they wanted to go their own way. They said, your rules, your laws aren't working for us, and therefore we want to create our own laws and our own rules, which make us feel happy, that puts me at the center. And what happened here is exactly what has happened in any culture and any society where they say, hey, let's just do as we want, and that's the chaos Ensued. And so the land is in chaos. And the people of God, rather than speaking for God, have got caught up in the chaos. And most of the church, as it was there, most of God's people have turned their back on God, apart from one guy, a few people, who are led by Isaiah the prophet. It's against the backdrop of a broken culture that Isaiah prays this prayer. Everybody, I suspect, else, other than this remnant who have left, have said, we think that we know best. We want to make decisions that when the history books look at us, they say, hey, those guys had it together. They'd made a decision that they wanted to not only define what history was, but they wanted to define what rightness was. 
In our broken culture today, it's very interesting, this, this rhetoric that's developed about wanting to be on the right side of history. That's a relatively new phrase, but it's not a relatively new idea because we all want to be right. In the midst of that backdrop and in the midst of this backdrop, Isaiah is saying the only way to be on the right side of history is to be on the right side of righteousness. The, the, the only way to be on the right side of eternity is to be right with God. And his prayer reflects that against the backdrop of people who are ruining everything that's good and right and holy. And so this is how his prayer starts. 64.1 Oh God, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. A fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. Your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. The first thing that Isaiah is praying in the midst of a broken culture is simply, God, would you show us that your way is the right way? That your way is the best way for us. His first word here is, is oh, it's this, this groan. This, this big sigh from, from deep within. Some virgins say, God, would you, would you rend the heavens? The word rend literally means, means rip, right? Would you rip yourself away from heaven and come down here so that a little bit of heaven could be established on this earth and in this culture that is so messed up. Other versions, my version says, oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. That needs to be one of our first prayers as we read the newspaper, as we scroll through our feed. God, would you burst into these situations? There's so much pain, there's so much ugliness, there's so much destruction. Would you just burst in? How the mountains would quake in your presence. When you show up, as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, you, your coming would make the nations tremble. He's saying, God, would you show us your power? Would you burst in? And would you burst in with a fire that burns away everything that is impure? And would you boil away all the impurities from our, our society, from our culture? Would you show us your power? Because God, if you would show us your power, those who mock you would see the reason for your fame. 
He's saying, God, when you show up, people realize what is wrong and people see what is right. Isaiah is saying, would you show us? Would you show us who you are? Would you show us what you do? Would you show us how much you love people? Would you show us how special we are to you? Because once we see you, everything changes. He says, God, you've, you've come down before. And he's talking historically about some of the times when God has revealed himself to his people and, and how that has changed societies and cultures and nations. For since the world began, he says, this is our problem right now. No ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. What Isaiah is praying is that because people haven't seen a God like you, They've made up a God who they think will satisfy all their longings. And so Isaiah is saying, oh God, we can't even comprehend how good you are. We, we, we can't see how good you are, but we want to. So would you come down and would you show us who you are? Because God, when you show up, Everything starts to change in a very positive way. You know, I don't know about you, but so often as we walk through life, there are situations that we come across when we don't know the right answer. We don't know what to do. Or the conversation is so hard or the setting is so difficult. And all we can say is, God, would you show up with me? Because if you show up, then I don't have to go through this alone. When you show up, there is some hope. When you show up, we can do this. But if you don't show up, we're in all kinds of trouble. I think we're at a state in our world right now where if God doesn't show up, we're in all kinds of trouble. That statement, though, is not one of despair. It's one of hope because we serve a God who wants to show up, right? And it's our job as the church, as the people of God, to say, hey, God, would you show up? And if we see, and if we look, and if we pray, and if we wait, he does. Because God is faithful to his promises. He, you know, we pray to the Lord, right, God, show up, come down, rend the heavens, burst through. There's one key word that is crucial to this. It's found in the end of verse 4. It says, no, I have seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. The secret to God showing up often is our patience. The secret for God showing up often is our patience, our patience to keep praying, our patience to keep asking, our patience not to quit. God is true to his promise, but he requires our patience 
for him to do what he says. Sometimes he requires a patience from us that lives longer than we do. Here's what's remarkable about this verse. Isaiah is saying, show us. And so he prays patiently. But God doesn't answer this prayer until hundreds of years later when Jesus shows up. And in fact, this first part of the verse points to Jesus. He says, when you come, the mountains will shake. Remember the story of Jesus' death that said the earth shook. And at Jesus' resurrection, three days later, the earth shook. Isaiah is praying a prayer that wasn't going to be answered until hundreds of years later. But he keeps praying it anyway. As the people of God in the midst of a broken culture, we must pray, God, would you show us? Would you show us your goodness? Would you show us your way? Would you show us your power? And he will, and he does. But sometimes we got to wait patiently. Isaiah prays, show us. Verse 5, you welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But you've been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We're infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one who calls on your name or pleads for your mercy... Therefore, you turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. The first thing Isaiah is saying as he's praying, as he's instructing us to pray, is that we pray, hey God, would you show us your power? Because when you show up, when we see you, everything changes. The second prayer is equally important. And he says, God, not only will you show us, but will you save us? You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But you've become very angry with us, for we are not godly. He's saying we want some good. We want to do good. We want to do right. We want to do that which is just. But we just keep tripping ourselves up and we can't do it. And rather than becoming part of the solution, we become part of the problem. I don't know about you, but often that's my life as well. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, we want to do good things, but we can't. And we don't want to do bad things, but we do. And Isaiah is praying you got to save us. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? 
This isn't a rhetorical question. This is a question he wants the answer to. And he's asking the question of the one, the only one who in Christ can provide the answer. He says we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. I used to have this shirt that I loved. You know, you have favorite shirts and clothing and things like this. And this was a cool shirt. I mean, I thought it was cool, and I'm not the best judge of what a cool shirt is. But I used to wear it a lot, and some of my favorite pictures uh, are of me wearing this shirt. And then one day, somehow, I got this big rip in the back of the shirt, and I couldn't wear it anymore. And it was somewhat of a hardship because I looked good in this shirt. (laughs) And so I decided rather than throwing this shirt away because there was some good pictures that we had taken in it and it had some sentimental value, I decided that I would put it in the little plastic container in our garage that we use for rags. And the other day... I was uh, cleaning some of the fans in our house, and I was using this old shirt to do so. Now, the top of the fans, I don't know if it's the same in your house, but in our house, they tend to gather a lot of dust. So by the time I'd finished, this favorite shirt, which I looked all right in, was covered in dust and dirt And it was a filthy rag. Just like Isaiah is talking about. Our righteousness, the things that make us right, have become like filthy rags. So after cleaning the fan, I just kind of threw this rag on the floor a little bit and went on to my next cleaning project. The plan was to kind of clean up a mess afterwards. But in the midst of that, uh, somehow um, this shirt found its way into the dirty laundry. And so it got laundered. And so it was somewhat clean, but it still had this rip in the back. But somehow when the laundry was getting folded, uh, and, and, and God bless Tracy who does a lot of our laundry folding, this shirt got hung up in my closet. You weren't looking for rips. That's all right. That's, that's not your job. So the next morning, when I'm getting up, I'm going through my closet. It's kind of dark. I don't want to wake Tracy. I put the shirt on, and I realize it's his favorite shirt. And I'm walking around, and, and, and I kind of bend over, and the rip rips a little bit more. And I have to take the shirt off and think, what am, what am I doing? That's the metaphor that Isaiah is, is, is saying, right? We, we have this righteous Clothing that we think makes us look good, but then we realize it's broken, and so we use it as rags, and we make it worse, and we do with it things that we wouldn't do with any of our other clothing, but when it comes to our righteousness, you know what we do? So often we choose to wear the dirty shirt again, right? And we can't help it. We just do. We say, God, I want to follow you. I want to put on, put on the right clothing. And then we go get ourselves all dirty. 
And so we take that dirty clothing off and we say, hey, God, forgive me. I'm going to be different now. But then we go back and we put that same dirty clothing on. The Apostle Paul talks about clothing ourselves with Christ. And that's what we should do because that's what can happen to us when we're saved. But rather than putting on this new clothing, so often we go back to wear the dirty rags, right? And so we have to say, God, would you save me? This great song that comes on the radio uh, now and again, it's called Savior, Please Keep Saving Me. And I love that song because I realize that I've been saved once and for all uh, uh, by Jesus. But man, I keep putting on these filthy rags time and time again, right? And I need God to save me today again. And I'm pretty sure by this evening I'll have done things that have made my, my, my righteous rags filthy again. And I'll need God to save me again. And the same will probably happen tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And I say, hey, God, just keep saving me. There's a lot of problems out there, many of which I, I can't deal with, but there's a big problem in here which I have to deal with, and so I invite you to help me on that, because what's out there is not going to be changed until what's in here has been transformed first, right? Isaiah says, show us. When you show up, things change. Secondly, he prays, save us. If you don't come... If you don't clothe us differently, if you don't show us how to act and live differently, we're in all kinds of trouble and we're a big part of the problem. Show us, save us, and then he prays, shape us. Show us, save us, shape us. Verse 8, and yet, man, that yet is a transitional word in scripture. Yet means there is hope. Yet means that despite of all that we're doing wrong, there is hope of something right. Oh, yet, Lord, you're in control. You are our father. You love me. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. So don't be angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are your people. Michelangelo was... Incredible artist. And what he would often do in his sculptures is his philosophy was a little bit different. He'd take some, some random rock with all its ugliness and he'd say his job wasn't to create something, it was to reveal something. He said, if I can just smooth it out in the right way, I can discover what was there and what was beautiful all along. And I think sometimes that's how God views us. He made us. He created us. He loves us. 
But all this sin, all this brokenness has distorted us. And so we pray like Isaiah prayed. You're the potter. We're the clay. Would you shape us? This is, this is a real hard part of prayer because generally we become hard-hearted and stiff-necked. And when we see a problem, we say, hey, it's not my fault, it's their fault. It's not I need to change, it's they need to change. But Isaiah's posture is so different. Lord, you're in control. You're the potter. I'm the clay, would you shape me? Would you smooth out my rough edges before you change their rough edges? Would you deal with the sin in me before you deal with the sin in them? Isaiah easily, and other parts in the prayer, he, he goes on this rant against other people, but he realizes that he's not going to fix other people unless God has first fixed him. So he prays, show us your power, because when you show up, things change. He's saying, save us, because left from our own devices, we just keep wearing these dirty, destructive clothes. And then, God, would you shape us? Would you mold us, and would you form us? Verse 9, look at us, we pray. And see that we are your people. He's, he's saying now, God, we're on your team. There's a whole lot of people who are living like they're not on your team. But because we're saying to you, would you show us and save us and shape us? That brings us on to your team. Verse 10, your holy cities are destroyed. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolate ruin. The holy and beautiful temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned down and all the things of beauty are destroyed. After all this, must you still refuse to help us? Will you continue to be silent and punish us? His saying... We're in a bad way. But God, I'm asking you to show us who you are. I'm asking you to save us. I'm asking you to shape us. And when we can pray those same three things, we get to answer this rhetorical question at the end. Will you continue to be silent and will you continue to punish us? And the answer to that question is no. It's no. Because when we've seen God's power, when we've been saved by God, when we've been shaped by God, then everything changes and we are not punished forever. Isaiah was praying a prayer 
that wouldn't be answered for hundreds of years. Because it was in the coming of Jesus that this prayer was answered and our upside-down world started to function the right way up again. How do we know that his prayer was answered in Jesus? Because it's in Jesus that God shows us who he is. We want to know who God is, we look to Jesus. If we think we know who God is, but it's inconsistent with how Jesus lived, it's probably not how God was. Jesus answers the show us question. Jesus answers the save us question. That's the story of the cross. That's the pain and the glory of the cross. That we whose sin was like filthy rags needed to be forgiven, needed a way where there was no way, and it was in Jesus' death and in his resurrection that we are saved. Save us, Jesus. Show us, Jesus. Shape us, Jesus. The best way for us to be changed is by looking at the example and the person of Jesus. Here's the deal. The world was upside down. It was as messed up as we are today. We look at all the problems around us in this world, in this time that we live in. And all we can do is pray. And we pray, God, show us. God, save us. And God, shape us. That's the hope for our country, for our culture, for our world. God, show us. God, save us. God, shape us.